Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. You know, they tell me there are three stages, it seems to be, in this country when it comes to marriage. And if you want to write them down, you can. I'm only going to write the first one. Is obviously there's a romantic stage, and we meet our prince coming in on the white horse. We meet her and think, oh my goodness, this is the one who stole my heart. And we call it the ideal. Correct? We have all this idea of how it's going to play out. It's going to be amazing. We can't wait for that moment. But then the wedding comes and it seems how quickly the ideal turns into the ordeal. And all of a sudden we're just like, oh my goodness. That romance is over. Now it's in the real world. And it's crazy how quickly it goes from the ideal to the ordeal. And now we're rethinking maybe I need to find a new deal. Isn't that kind of how it works? But what if I told you Even if you're in the ordeal or you're looking for a new deal, you can actually go back and experience the ideal because the ideal is real. Okay, I don't think you heard what I just said. Pretty sure you didn't. What if I told you that what God put together, no man has to put it under, and even if you're now in the ordeal and you're thinking maybe I need to get a new deal, that you can go back to the ideal of which God put there in your heart in the first place, but the ideal is real. Now, let me try it again. <laughs> the ideal, Israel, Israel. That Israel is not a nation. It's actually the fundamental understanding of marriage and our relationships. See, this is the Hebrew spelling of Israel. The yish is the word for man. The ishra is the word to see. And el, like El Shaddai or El El Yon is the word for God. The ideal Israel when a man sees God. Or to go back to Genesis where the first patriarch, Jacob, the word patriarch meaning where it all began. If you read the story, Jacob wrestles with God. And the Bible says he prevails, which doesn't mean he defeated God. What he discovered in that moment that God said, Jacob, the ideal Israel, for you have seen God. And he changes Jacob's name to Israel, which means this. You will now prevail in everything with God. For greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The ideal, Israel, 
when you see God, you will prevail with God because God is always the victorious God. Amen to that? And it's to that that I want to speak. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to Genesis. The book of Genesis, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's the first book in the Bible. You just start in the left side of your Bible and start turning pages because we're going to go to the very first chapter. And I want to encourage you to go there right now in the very first verse. But before we do that, I, I feel like I need to do something. God, I know I'm very aware of the fact of who I'm not. And God, I'd like to believe that I'm very clear of who you are, but I know my humanity gets in the way at times. But my beg of you, not my ask, my beg of you is that you will silence my thoughts and my words and that only yours would go forth. Because it's your word that would never return void. And God, I always ask, if anything of me comes out that you would in your amazing power and sovereignty that you would erase those things from their mind, that in the end they would only hear you. And I pray that believing in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Everything starts with God. There's always those people who say, listen, we understand the fact that everything that is has to be created by something, therefore who created God. I'm not here to get into the argument of the great scholars of like uh, Aquinas or Anselm, but I'm here to tell you what they've come to believe in all of their studies. The fact of the matter is, you're right, everything creates something, but there has to be the ultimate creation that got it started in the first place, and that is God. What gets man in trouble is that you and I have already been told, and we know it to be true, we use such a limited portion of our brain. And yet it's interesting to me that the only way you're going to believe is to be able to understand God with that limited brain. And what I've learned is this. I don't have to look out in the world very far to realize man hasn't really done all that well. So I surrender my understanding to the fact there is God. And rather seeing it from my understanding, I'd rather take on and believe there is something greater and I want to understand what he sees. You can do what you want, but in the end, remember, whatever you give to, that will be the end result of your life and the legacy you'll leave behind. And so in the beginning, God, it's very clear in Scripture, it says that God created the heavens, plural, that interesting, and the earth singular. It will unfold now the next six days of creation, and I want you to skip down, if you would, to verse 26. Then God said, watch this, and I want a little participation here, if that's okay. Then God said, let us make man beings in our image. Whose image? God's image. And in our likeness. Whose likeness? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created. Who created? He created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Those are gender specific. He created them. 
So God bless them. And if you want to circle something in your Bible, if you write in it, I would circle the word blessed. God blessed. When God does something, it's a beautiful thing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with its seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth, all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and he said to himself, I'm the man. Okay, that's my translation. Okay, God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day, chapter two, very first verse. Thus the heavens and the earth were now complete. The heavens, the earth were now perfect. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be take, taken away exactly the way God wanted it to be. And so I'm asking that maybe like Jacob, you and I, this service would wrestle with God. And in wrestling with the understanding that he had purposed for marriage, that he would change our identity, our understanding. And we would come away being the ideal Israel. We've seen God. And we will prevail with God. That's my hope. So if you got your notes, take them out. And I want to give you God's kingdom purpose for marriage. Not ours, but God's kingdom purpose. Here's the first one. Marriage's purpose to reflect God's image. Marriage was purpose to reflect God's image. The greatest of attribute when it comes to marriage. Did you know that? Is to reflect the image of God. In fact, you need to know this. Marriage was God's design that people would see in our relationship who and what God is really all about. The most profound thing about marriage, boy, if every couple that stood in an altar understood that, the only reason God brought you together and the most important one is that you would show the world what my relationship can be with them. By the way, that's the key in the church. And I look around the church today and what are people learning about God's people who call themselves Christians in the church? What are they learning about who Jesus is? And so I ask up front, what is your marriage? What are your relationships reflecting? Proverbs 27, notice the promise. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Can't be hidden. We're all reflecting something. You know, there's a study that was done in two different families. Max Jukes, he didn't believe in Jesus. I don't need that Jesus stuff. So he married a woman who believed the same. There's no God. From their union, that marriage, they had 1,026 descendants when they did this study. As they studied them, remember, they didn't believe in Jesus. We don't need to need him. They discovered that 300 of those descendants died prematurely. 100 were sent to the penitentiary. 190 sold themselves to drugs and pornography. 100 were drunkards, and the family cost the state of New York $1.1 million. 
Jonathan Edwards was studied. He believed in God and that Jesus Christ is to be Lord. And he married a woman who thought the same. From their union, they studied 729 descendants. From the study, looking back, that's how many they had. What they discovered is that 300 of them became preachers. 65 were college professors, 13 were university presidents, six were authors, three United States congressmen, and one was the vice president of the United States. They didn't cost the state of New York a penny. In the book, Alienated America, Timothy Carney writes, strong marriages are the necessary condition of the good life of economic mobility and the American dream. So goes the family, so goes society. So let me get real personal. If everyone in this church were like you, what kind of church would we have? If every person in this church shared the gospel of Jesus Christ as often as you do, how many people would be reached and be in heaven? If every person in this church gave the percentage of their income like you do, how long would this church survive and how many poor people would we be able to help? We're all reflecting something. Paul said to Titus, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. The question is, what teaching? Here's number two. Marriage was purposed by God to reproduce God's mission. It's to reproduce what? God's mission. Reproduce what? Here's the mission. You ready? Verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That blessing was not God's way of saying, I need multiplication. I need a baby factory. That was not what God was forecasting. That was not what God was commanding. It wasn't what God was blessing. Marriage was not to birth children. Marriage was to bring children in the world and raise them up to be change agents that would influence the world for Jesus Christ in their generation. That's what marriage was about. Paul actually writes in Ephesians 6, you know, he says, I love the imagery. Fathers, take your children by the hand. Fathers, take your children by the hand and lead them. Notice, not love them. Lead them in the way of the master. Lead them in the way of Jesus because that's what love does. I could almost say this. You're loving your children by what you're pointing them to chase. Fathers, take your kids by the hand. See, anyone can father a child. Anybody can. But to be a godly dad, that's a different story. And that's what this blessing was about. When it says to be fruitful, to multiply, think about it. God isn't asking, hey, give people bad fruit. When he says be fruitful, he's literally saying good fruit. Give them something that will be nourished, that can be replicated, that other people would want to come to that tree and eat from. 
This is what this is about. You know, someone once asked me, that. in fact, I get asked quite often, and it's kind of sad, and maybe, maybe this was my way to say quit asking, okay? Um, but people come up and say, don't you wish, Pastor Keith, that you had a son? I always love that. They always want to grab my girls and go, so what do you think about that? You know, I mean, you know what I always tell them? No, not at all. They go, I go, why would you say that? And they go, well, if you have a son, he can carry on the family name. And you know what I always say? I have three gifts from God that will carry on the family name. It just depends which name you want carried on. See, I, I don't want my girls to be disciples of Keith. I want them to be disciples of Jesus. I don't want them to be raised in my image. I want them raised in the image of Jesus. Have they arrived at it? No, because I haven't arrived at it, but I'm sure in that process, I'm in that vein. That's why the Bible says raise up a child in the way that you want them to go. It does not say the bad translation, the American translation is, and they will never depart from it. That's not what it says. The actual translation says you raise up a child in the way you want them to go, that one day they'll return to it. Can I give you a little secret in parenting? Raise your kids today. Give them today what you want them to run back to 20, 30 years from now. Malcolm X said these words, only a fool would allow the enemy to educate their children. Only a fool. Now, you may disagree with this, but I'm going to say it. All the sporting events that have taken over Sunday were given away by the church. That is a proven study. I'm not saying you, you, I'm not here to tell you whether it's right or wrong. I'm just here to tell you when my kids were growing up, we would not let them participate in any event that would continually take them away from Sunday morning. And I've had people go, well, don't you want them to understand what team is? Yeah, his team. Because 20, 30 years from now, when their marriages are struggling, I'm teaching them today what I want them to run back to. I don't want them 20, 30 years ago running back to soccer because no one will care they even played it 20, 30 years from now. I want them to run back to Christ. You give them today, you show them today what matters 20, 30 years from now. Don't get lost in the moment. Your marriage has a mission, a God mission. See, 1 John 2 says, the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So we taught our kids early on the importance of being in the Bible. Does that mean they're always in it right now? Maybe not. But they will be. Because we showed them the importance. And I believe in the promise of God. We taught them to tithe early on, and I have a 20-year-old and 25-year-old that tithe. They return 10% of everything to the Lord because we showed them that the treasures on earth will pass away. They will never last. Put your treasures where they matter. Because I believe that God's word does not return void, so you put in today what you want them to run to tomorrow. Now, church, listen. When I say that, I don't say it to put anybody on the defense. It's not my intent. I'm telling you what the truth of God says. 
And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, Pastor, it's too late. I already blew it. My kids are grown and gone. I didn't even know the Lord back then. You ready for this? That's the enemy telling you a lie. You shut that down right now. Because of the cross and the power of the resurrection, it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters right now and where you want to go. You stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You might need to call your child. You may want to sit down with your child, and it's good for them to hear. Listen, I know you're grown today, and first of all, I want to ask you, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for not being the dad I need to be? And I just want to tell you, I, I can't prove that to you today. I, I've, I think I've failed you a lot. But I want to tell you that your mom and I, or maybe it's just you, I want to tell you I love Jesus. And I'm not here to preach at you. I'm here to judge you. I just want to tell you I'm sorry. And I hope in the days ahead you'll understand how much I love the Lord because I want you to have that same love. I'm so glad you're my child. I will guarantee you the prodigal son story will happen again. God's redemption and the power will begin to do what you cannot do. And it's never too late this side of heaven. As long as you have breath, you focus on what you want right now and what God can do before you. And something amazing will begin to happen. I promise you that. The devil wants you to look backward. He wants you to see where you failed. The only thing you look backward at is the cross that took those failures and you turn and you look at the resurrection of the power of what Jesus can do with those. And you believe me, trust God will do something. He will begin to reproduce his mission in your life. Amen to that? So marriage was created by God to reflect his image. The people would see who and what Jesus is all about. Marriage was purposed to reproduce his mission by raising up kids in the likeness of who he is so they'll carry on the gospel in their generation. Here's number three, and I invite the team to the stage. Marriage was purposed by God to rule over God's creation. Verse 28 says again that God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and watch this, and rule it. Would you circle the word rule? Rule it. See, I contend... We become more reactors in the world rather than rulers in the world. I'm pretty sure that many of you have a thermostat in your house, right? Trust me. And I don't know how your house works. I go set the thermostat. I turn. My wife comes and resets the thermostat. You with me on this, okay? Come on, man. Amen? But you just let it go. It's okay. But you set the thermostat on the temperature you want in your house. But sadly, what I've seen happening in the church right now is we've become more like thermometers in the culture because I hear Christians actually say these words to me over and over. I hear it. It's the biggest wave that I hear. Pastor, you're old school. So I, I've, 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 many in this room have said that to me. Pastor, the world's changed. You got to catch up with the times. Things are different today. And you want to know? They are. Do you know why they are? We call it progress. That's the lie of the enemy. The reason, in a lot of ways, we progress, it has more to do because we're still looking for something to give us life. Because they'll say that, and I'm going to say, listen, no, 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 no. I will be a thermostat, not a thermometer. I could care less because, you ready for this? You're right. Society changes. I serve a God who never has. He's the same he was then. He's the same today and forever will be. The gospel doesn't change. The word doesn't change. This is our 
thermostat. Because this is where hope is. It's where hope is. See, to rule over something requires good stewardship in the physical realm and a deep diligence in the spiritual realm. In other words, I don't throw my trash out the window when I'm driving my car. Some of you'd say, oh, what big deal about that is? It's God's world. He made it. And he's learning very quickly. If you're going to take care of my world that way, my goodness, what are you, what are you going to do with my heaven? I've literally had people in my car where I stopped the car and I, they threw stuff out, didn't know it. And I stopped and they go, what are you doing? I said, we're going to go back and pick that up. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you that God asked me to rule this world. That's not taking care of it. I don't care anybody else is doing it. This is my father's world. And I'm going to rule it the way he wants it ruled. But the same is true spiritually. I don't always get it right, but this morning I got up early, spent time in the word, spent time walking with my Jesus. Why? Because my life matters. And I don't want to just live physically right. I want to live spiritually right. Let me close with a picture of this. Picture a nice house right now. Just picture a nice house. It's got a beautiful white picket fence, beautiful. I mean, if, if, if you're from my generation or older, think of the Waltons, okay? Inside is a happy family lounging. Having a good time together, the family is. They love each other. In fact, right now they're remodeling the kitchen be, because they finally can and they're excited about it. They're hanging their new big screen on the wall and putting in better windows. It's a beautiful picture. A few blocks away, there's a full-scale war going on. Their friends, their neighbors are fighting for their lives. They're arguing, they're yelling, they're screaming at each other. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment as you see the picture. For me, there's something terribly wrong and off with that picture. But I fear it's more than a picture. It just seems that we've reduced Christianity that God would want me to be happy and take care of my family and to the point that's a half-truth. But it kind of stops there. It seems many homes, many marriages are ignoring the bigger picture, God's mission to reflect his image, to reproduce godly offspring and to rule creation. Let me ask it this way. Can we really say that our marriage is good, that our family and our home is godly? If we're so focused on our family, our life, our stuff, that it keeps us from making disciples, caring for the poor, reaching out to the lost, and using our talents and resources to point other people to Christ? See, I can. Marriage is the most significant institution by which a lost world can see what being a Christian is all about. Marriage is the most intimate of human relationships in which a husband and wife learn to model Christ's love. Marriage is the 18-year training ground for children so they can learn that love and go out and do the same. Marriage provides a unique opportunity to reflect Jesus as a couple, and it gives us the greatest of platform to accomplish his great mission in the world. My mentor and close friend, Dr. Joanne Lyons, says it this way, the church doesn't have a mission in the world. God's mission has a church in the world. 
Well, the same is true in my marriage. My marriage doesn't have a mission in the world. God's mission made sure that my marriage was in this world. I want to ask my wife, my bride, to come to the stage if she would. And you look good. This is my heavenly gift. This is one of God's kids that he gave me. He didn't give her to me for me. My Bible says that none would perish. And I was making a difference for Jesus in some ways, and, but God didn't know. Your light shines, but it'll shine beyond anything you can imagine when you understand the Eve I'm going to give you. And he brought me Kay. I didn't get that early on. Wasted so many years. But did you guys know that nowhere in the Bible does it really say that we're to work on our marriages? And you know what Kay and I are discovering? We don't have to work on our marriage if we're walking in him. You see, when we're about the spiritual fight, we don't fight. When we think of heaven, not our happiness, and we're walking in him, when we're about the battle that God is in, we don't battle. It's like we're just stroking in the same direction because we're not looking at earth, we're looking at what's to come. I wish I knew that earlier but I know it now and it doesn't matter where we've been. It matters right now where we're going and we're in this battle and waging war together. And I can't imagine doing it with anybody else. God's gift, not for me, but God's gift to the world that our marriage can make an eternal difference and people be in heaven and they're learning about who Jesus is and what he's like and how we walk together. See, I don't know where you've been. Please hear this. According to the gospel of Christ, he doesn't care. What he's asking right now is where would you like to go? What would you like me to do? Can I show you what I really wanted to do in the first place? See, I, you didn't marry the wrong person. I, I want to show you what it means to become that person. And it will be awesome. It'll blow your mind. And I can take your dreams beyond anything you can imagine. And I'm, I'm getting a glimpse of those dreams. The ideal is real. I've seen God. And together we can prevail in anything. Amen? Amen? Father, what a divine understanding from Scripture. I didn't write it. You wrote it. What you have for our marriages, what they can be. God, that we wouldn't even in this moment, I trust that no one's saying, well, I like where it's at, when there's so much more that lies ahead. But God, like Paul, we haven't obtained it yet. But the one thing I do, I press on 
to what lies ahead. I look to the glorious coming. Therefore, whatever I go through, whatever I face, I shall count it a joy that one day I'll be face to face. A heavenly purpose, the heavenly mission of marriage. And in that mission, you knew that Kay and I needed to be married because we're better together than we would ever have been apart. God, I didn't always get that, and it's okay for someone in this room to say that. I didn't get it, but I do, I do as much as I do right now. God, I want that. And you'll begin to do the miraculous. You'll begin to do what only you can do. You're an amazing, amazing God. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.